Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me invite you to hang on to those words for just a few moments. How do we change the world? One act of random kindness at a time. And I'll circle back to those words in just a bit. As Sam said, we are continuing a series today that we're calling Living Hope. In fact, today is the third lesson in the series. And I really hope as we share together in worship, as we sing uh, the great songs that we have shared together this morning, I really hope that you grab hold of the words and the phrases in those songs that remind us of the living hope that permeates our lives. I will call upon the Lord. For he has broken every chain. And so we choose to be a church waiting for our God. Even so, come Lord Jesus, we sing and we pray. Believing that the resurrected King is resurrecting us. Living hope. Over the last two weeks, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we focused on those moments that are at the heart of the gospel story, those moments that enable us to experience living hope. And so we've talked about the cross of Jesus, the crucifixion where Jesus, the one who had no sin, was willing to become sin for us in order that we might be forgiven, justified, redeemed, reconciled, all of those beautiful words that Scripture uses to describe the relationship that we have been invited into with our God, with the divine family. That happens because Jesus was willing to carry the burden of our sin to the cross. In fact, all of those red cards that we filled out a couple of weeks ago and then that you saw placed behind the crown of thorns last week, Jesus carried our burden. Jesus carried our sins. All of the burden, all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the things that we put before God or in place of God, Jesus carried those to the cross in order that we might be holy. Uh, To use Paul's language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the one who had no sin became sin for us in order that we might be declared the righteousness of God. At the heart of the gospel story is the story of a cross and the story of a resurrection, a cross and a resurrection that give us living hope. Now, obviously, as believers, we celebrate the, re- the resurrection every moment we live. And so we talk about those really, really, really good moments of life. And I pray that you have a lot of good moments. But we especially cling to the resurrection of Jesus in the storms of life. As we worded it last Sunday, in those moments when we find ourselves crying out in desperation, in our most desperate hour, in those moments when we're left wondering, is there any hope at all? And so we think about words and events and failures and tragedies that tend to suck the joy out of our lives, winds that rip out our hopes, even from the very roots, it seems like, failures that often leave us dangling at the end of our ropes. And then those days that shatter our dreams, that leave us saying, this is our most desperate hour. The words that are spoken to us that we thought we would never hear, perhaps, 
and then the resurrection. In the most dramatic fashion imaginable, the resurrection reminds us that hope is not dead. As believers, and I use that word very, very intentionally this morning, and so please hear me carefully. <clears throat> As believers, I am very confident in saying to any person, anywhere, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus even in the midst of my questions, even in the midst of my doubts, even when the storms of life come. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And as believers, because we do put our trust in the resurrection of Jesus, we experience living hope. I had the wonderful privilege Wednesday night of teaching our third through fifth graders in an annual class that we do on baptism. We talk about that spiritual journey that we're all a part of and those important pieces of that spiritual journey. And baptism is one of those key moments where we identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And as I talk to those young people on Wednesday night, 10, 11, 12 years of age, as I talk to those young people, I, I actually took them back to the very beginning, what I often do when we talk about the story of God. And I reminded those young people that from the very beginning, God created us in His image, created us to share relationship, created us to live with peace and hope and joy and love. And yet even those young people recognize the power of sin to suck the joy and the hope out of our lives. And we talked in very realistic fashion about the power of sin in that class Wednesday night. And yet to recognize in the midst of a broken, chaotic world that Jesus stepped into our world and through His life and His death and His resurrection, He brings us hope. And as I talked about that kind of relationship and that kind of hope, I reminded those young people, God wants us to experience that in two different directions. One direction is the life that we're living right now. To use the language of Jesus in John chapter 10, I've come that you might experience life and experience it to the full, abundant life, some of our translations word it. A reminder whether you're 10 years old or 80 years old, a reminder that in the storms of life, Jesus invites us into a living hope. And we've walked through that as a church family this week as we have shared together with families who've lost loved ones, as folks have gotten news that was devastating news, that in spite of those storms, Jesus invites us to experience abundant life that is marked by hope. And then Jesus, in the other direction, points us to the fact that the end of the story is not the end of the story here, that ultimately, as this continues to play out, it's the promise of Jesus coming to get us and of us living in the presence of our God forever and forever. It is that reality of living hope, and it is guaranteed because of the resurrection, and it is guaranteed because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As I'm fond of saying, and you've heard me say it before, the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us leverage in the midst of those moments of life that seem absolutely unbearable. We recognize that this is not all there is to the story. And so if you were here last Sunday, you heard some of the opening lines in 1 Peter, where Peter affirms that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance 
that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. But I want to take it a step further because we also need to hear the words that we read together at the beginning of the assembly today. And so as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, would you hear those words again? We read them together confessionally the first time through. This time, I want you to hear God speaking to you. Through the apostle Peter, he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, in one way or another, we all struggle with our identity. We, we know our failures better than anybody else. We know our brokenness, and at times we may wonder how anybody in the world could ever love us. I want you to hear me clearly on this Sunday following Easter Sunday because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We do not have a dead hope. We have a living hope. You, my brothers and sisters, are a holy nation. You are a chosen people. You are God's special possession. And so in those moments that are absolutely the most challenging moments in life, please, please, don't forget that, that you are God's special possession. And as Sam also mentioned at the outset this morning, then we take that next step of saying, okay, what next? What does all that mean for life, day after day, this idea of a living hope? And we cling to it, yes, but what does that mean on Monday and Tuesday and next week and the week following that and the month following that? What does that mean? And I hope in some small way, we can flesh that out today and in the two Sundays that will follow. Let me begin today by taking us back to the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And Carrie, in so many respects, has already alluded to some of the words and images that we find in Luke's Gospel. Uh, you, you may recall that in the opening two chapters of this Gospel, there are those incredible birth narratives, the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist. And woven into that story are two incredible songs, Mary's song that we know as the Magnificat and Zachariah's song. In Mary's song, she declares, My soul praises the Lord. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Zechariah, now that his voice is back after the birth of John, Zechariah will sing, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in order to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. We often look at those great texts during the Advent season and we talk about faith and hope and joy and love and all of the great themes that are wrapped into the coming of Jesus into this world. And while all of those themes are important things, may I suggest that this idea of hope is the one that in so many respects holds them all together. 
Because you see, hope is all over the place in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. In a broken, fallen world, Jesus brings hope. In a world where folks have given up, where one dream after another has been shattered, Jesus brings hope. And so I want you to listen to that great text in Luke 4 as Jesus begins his ministry. Love the way that Luke frames it. Luke says he goes back to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Paraphrase, Jesus felt like it was important to be with the people of God. And so he goes to church. He goes to synagogue on Sabbath. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place. I wonder how many seconds or minutes he took, perhaps deliberately getting to Isaiah 61. And he begins reading from that great text, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of those being significant phrases that speak of hope. But that last phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, likely a reference to the year of Jubilee that the Jews had not done a very good job practicing through their history a year when debts were to be forgiven and those who were slaves were to be set free. It was a year of celebration. It was the year of the Lord's favor. And yet for centuries, for centuries, the people of God have not grabbed hold of the hope that God was extending. And now Jesus says, the day is here. It is all about living hope in a broken world. In a world where lives are filled with chaos and disappointments and failures and shattered dreams. In a world that is characterized by oppression and abuse and hatred and revenge. In a world where there are prisoners and not just prisoners behind bars, but quite frankly all of us who allow so many different things to bind us. Prisoners who long for freedom, Jesus says the blind, and not just those who cannot see physically, but the harsh reality that far too often we blind ourselves to the presence and to the work of God in this world. The oppressed who long for freedom, the poor who long for good news. How do you change that kind of world? Now, ultimately, we would all say, through the cross and the resurrection, But I want us to grab hold of the fact today that hope begins unfolding long before Jesus gets to a cross. In fact, it begins with the promises of God once sin had entered into the world. Promises even to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham. Promises that ultimately, through the human race, God would bring deliverance through a Messiah. And we see that hope over and over and over again in the incarnation, in the life, and in the ministry of Jesus. Obviously, that hope is extended to the entire world. God so loved the world, but hear me, that hope is extended one person at a time. One act of love and hope and kindness. Uh, We certainly have story after story in the Gospels of Jesus preaching to multitudes, healing uh, 
uh, numerous people in, in the same context, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000. But the most riveting scenes in the Gospels, in my judgment, are those scenes where Jesus encounters people one person at a time. A religious leader named Nicodemus who knew there had to be something far beyond all of the religious debates and regulations of his day. A woman caught in the very act of adultery, caught in her own sin and shame, obviously, but back into a corner by a group of religious leaders who did not see a woman to be valued. Zacchaeus, who knew Jesus offered something far beyond what he had found in other places, a despised tax collector at that, a Samaritan woman who had gone looking for hope, hope in, hope in, in all sorts of relationships, longing for living water, and yet finding failure after failure after failure until she encounters Jesus. And then that beautiful story of a woman who struggled with an issue of bleeding who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get that close to Jesus, he doesn't have to speak a word. He doesn't have to reach out his hands and say, be healed. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. This idea of living hope, a leper, a blind man, over and over again, Jesus comes to one person after another, just like Jesus comes to you today. And just like Jesus comes to me today. Jesus changed the entire course of human history on Easter weekend, but his ministry provides glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of the kind of hope that he brings to every single person that he brings to us. And I encourage you, I invite you, I challenge you to embrace that hope today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, especially when you walk through the storms of your life. A couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I had the privilege of attending an annual dinner hosted by Eastern European Mission. Now, some of you are familiar with that ministry. For decades, they have printed and distributed Bibles in Eastern Europe. For many years before the fall of communism, they smuggled Bibles into those countries. With the fall of communism, doors have opened wide. And they've had the privilege of putting Bibles in schools. They've had the privilege of putting Bibles in countries where folks thought the gospel of Jesus would never know, uh, never go. And now their ministry extends to countries far beyond just Eastern, uh, just Eastern Europe. Dirk Smith, who is the vice president of EEM, told the story of one young woman who had been given a Bible. And as she read the Bible and as she interacted with believers, she likewise became a follower of Jesus in spite of the fact that her family had told her, you choose to follow this person named Jesus, we will disown you. She chose to follow Jesus nonetheless. Sure enough, her family disowned her. Her father brutally beat her. And as Dirk later interviewed her, for one of the videos they were putting together to tell churches the story of their ministry. He said, I looked into her eyes and asked her, given everything that you've gone through, would you do it all over again? Has it been worth it? And he said, she looked at me and said, Dirk, can I look into the camera directly? And she looked into the camera and said, it's been worth every minute of it. And then she said, if you are searching for God, Keep searching, because when you find him, you'll never let him go.
living hope. And so, may I invite you again to hear me carefully? I too pray that we will never let God go. Whether you've been following the Lord for many, many years or only for a short period of time, my prayer is that you will never let Him go. And if you're still searching, please keep searching because I am confident when you find this God who offers living hope, you will never let Him go. But I also want you to hear me very clearly. On the other hand, I pray that you do let him go. Because I don't think God's call in our life is for us to so tightly cling to him and to step back in our seclusion to say, hey, we've got hope. No, what God invites us to do is to release that hope to our world and to allow the light that God brings to our darkness to permeate the lives of people that we encounter as well. Did you notice that phrase that we read from 1 Peter? It's where Peter says, here's who you are. You're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're God's special possession. In order that, you might declare the praises of the one who's brought you from darkness into light. In order that you might be the presence of Christ. In order that you might extend that living hope. Living hope, what, what does it mean day after day? Well, next Sunday and the Sunday that follows, we're going to talk about holy living. We're going to talk about the anticipation we have of Jesus coming again. But for today, may I root the challenge in those glimmers of hope that we see over and over in the ministry of Jesus and challenge us to do the same. I love the phrase, random acts of kindness. Not only in the movie clip that we saw, but in so many other contexts where we've heard that phrase. I, I love that phrase. And I really pray that everywhere we go, we, we begin to adopt the kind of posture where in very natural ways, we simply are the presence of Jesus. That we engage in acts of kindness and love toward others. But I think the challenge needs to go beyond that. I think rather than just random acts of kindness, we need to be very, very intentional. Because you see, that's exactly the way the ministry of Jesus unfolded. He sails across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Not just across the Sea of Galilee, I'm convinced, but because he knew there was a demoniac up there in the region of the Gerizims who needed to be freed from his chains. He pauses at a well in Samaria because he knew that a woman who had found anything but living water would come to draw water that day. Intentional. And I challenge you, especially this week, to be intentional because I'm confident that every one of us sitting in this room knows somebody. Knows somebody where if you speak a word of kindness this week, where if you step into their lives and walk alongside them, they may discover some hope that they thought never would exist. And so may I challenge you this week? Now, we're going to talk about other stuff next week. May I challenge you this week? Focus on people that you know who desperately need living hope. Let's pray together.
God, you've stepped into our lives through Jesus, and you've given us living hope. And God, we embrace that and we cling to that, but I pray that we don't so desperately cling to it that we don't share it with our world. And so, God, the names that you're putting on our hearts even now, people in our lives who need hope, would you give us the courage this week to walk alongside them and in very intentional ways be the presence of Jesus. And we pray that, God, knowing knowing as your power works through us, the world can be changed, not because of us, but because of the power of the name of Jesus, this wonderful, powerful name that we cling to today. It's in his name that we pray. Would you stand and let's